Welcome to Perspective, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited to be talking with Maeve Duvali today. Maeve, welcome. Katie, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to just get into the conversation. So let's just start. I like to sort of lay the playing field out talking about um, your career. So you had a really fantastic career in journalism and PR. Can we start there? Sure. Well, my career really started in, in Japan. I was in Japan during the 1980s for about 10 years, and I got my first journalism job there. And I moved back to the United States in, I think, 1991. And I ended up being a journalist for 15 years. And then um, around 20 years ago, I, I switched to PR. Journalism was a great um, job for me when I was younger in life. I've always wanted to write. And being a journalist was a dream. But um, when I hit 40, um, that just seemed like a good time to change careers. and. Uh, PR is kind of the flip side of uh, journalism. Not everyone in PR is a journalist, but um, we we have to know how journalists think. We have to be able to relate to journalists. So um, for many of us like me, it's really good to have a background in journalism if you're going to go into PR. And then uh, about 15 or 16 months ago, uh, I I left my, my job at Goldman Sachs, which was the last PR job I had. And it turns out I've really worked for big companies for about 35 years. And it, it's just really a good time for me to step away and do my own thing. And you wrote a book, Mave Rising, Coming Out Trans in Corporate America, which was just recently published. Why did you want to share your story and, and write the book? Sure. On a personal level, the book was important to me because I not only came out trans in 2018, I came out at Goldman Sachs in 2019, but in my personal life, I came out in 2018. And earlier in that year, I got sober. So it was important um, for me to, once I got sober, once I realized I was transgender, to go back and look at my life from a different, with a different lens and see how different everything felt. And another way to put it is I wanted to connect my past life to the person I am right now. So that's that's why I did it for myself. Um, but the book's not, you, you, you don't just write a book and want to get it published for yourself. I, I think it has value to the outside world. I, I know from my experience, telling your story can uh, help other people. So I think I can help other people in the LGBTQ plus world. And then also we live in a very polarized time socially and politically. And uh, unfortunately, um, transgender rights are like right at the center of everything right now. And I, I do believe there's a lot of people in this country that, um, quote, don't accept or, quote, don't like transgender people because they've simply never had uh, access or um, contact with a transgender person. So I think it's important for us to tell our stories and for people to see that um, if you read my book, um, I don't think you can say my life is not a legitimate human experience. It is a legitimate human experience. And um, we just have to keep telling our stories. And, you know, over time, I'm, I'm hoping that will help. 
Well, your book is about obviously coming out as transgender and also about getting sober. So how hard was it to talk about getting sober? Because that feels like a very universal thing for a lot of people. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of a lot of recovery programs um, encourage people to um, stay anonymous and and not talk about their drinking. I'm I'm comfortable right now talking about pretty much every aspect of my drinking. I've laid a lot of it out, the the destruction and hurt that I caused many people. I've laid it out in in the book. Initially, um, when when I came out at Goldman Sachs in 2019. Uh, the New York Times did a story about me, and um, right before the story was going to be published, I, I submitted to, to several hours of interviews with the reporter, and she shadowed me during the course course of the first couple of days. And um, right before the story was going to be published, she came back to me. She said, "Like my editors kind of feel there's something missing in this story. Like they've heard your story and they don't really understand. You kind of always hated yourself." And now you accept yourself, but there's something missing. And there was. It was my um, almost lifelong alcoholism. And I wasn't prepared to talk explicitly about it then. I, in the story, it says something like, I acknowledge drinking too much. But um, as time passed, I became more comfortable uh, talking about that. And just as my experience coming out as a tra- transgender person um, can potentially help people, I'm hopeful that talking about my experience and the difficulties I had getting sober can also help people. That's really amazing. You know, it's interesting in this day and age of social media and people trying to always put out the best version of themselves to talk about things that are really difficult. It's not easy. And a lot of people don't want to do it. And so I think it's really pretty amazing. And it kind of leads to my question about storytelling without trying to be cliche, but, you know, storytelling you as a journalist telling stories and then in PR, try and also as a PR person myself, trying to sort of shape stories, it's been a large yep. part of your life in different ways. Can you talk about the importance or the art uh, of storytelling? And it's all, everything you've said is absolutely true. So it's been a big part of my professional life. Additionally, um, storytelling um, is the basis for recovery programs as well. So the secret sauce of recovery and also the secret sauce of any storytelling is identification. You tell your story, somebody identifies with parts of your story, and um, that breaks isolation because a lot of us think that um, whatever crazy thoughts we're having or weird internal experiences we're having, they're unique to us, but there's a good chance, there's 8 billion people in the world, there's a good chance they're not unique. And when we, we, when we talk about our stories and people identify with our stories, then um, there's, there's that human connection that breaks the isolation, and that's the power of storytelling. So when I think about it, my whole life, um, from recovery to uh, being in journalism to um, being in PR, it's all been about storytelling. So it's highly appropriate that I wrote a book about it. And it's an amazing book. And what do you, what do you want to, what's the ultimate thing you really want to accomplish with this book? Um, 
I, I want to encourage more people to tell their stories. I, I, I do, as I said earlier, I do hope that um, in a small way, it, it contributes positively to the public discourse on transgender people. And um, I, I think at the far right, there literally are people that want to erase transgender people from, from society. And we all know that's impossible. You can't do it, but they're trying to do it through laws. And um, we, we need to fight back. We need to tell our stories. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just hopeful if, if enough of us do this, and I also think the demogra demographics favor us. There's a lot more transgender people in younger generations than in my generation. So um, hopefully these people are going to vote. Hopefully um, they will, um, there will be more exposure because there's more um, transgender people. And as we tell our stories, as people understand this is legitimate human experience, hopefully um, over time, uh, the situation we have right now will be mitigated and um, we will be more accepted. Uh, in society. So you've done it beautifully with your book, and you also do it on a more personal level by mentoring transgender people in corporate America. If there's someone who is trans and may or may not be out yet, but looking for a mentor, how would you suggest they go about finding one? Well, I'll tell you how people find me. They find me on social media. Either pay, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm I'm a little I've become more active on some other social media sites because my publisher says I have to be more um, <laughs> outwardly focused. You know, I it, it is so true that um, that I, I was kind of the classic PR person. Part of it was I was I was a little bit isolated and introverted due to my lifelong um, alcoholism. But um, I was the typical PR person where. Um, I, that, but before I came out, there was hardly anything about me. You couldn't find anything about me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit out there, um, a little bit more, but it, it really was a strange experience when a reporter wrote about me for the first time. But to get back to your question, um, there are tons and tons of transgender people, LGBTQ plus people, allies that are writing all the time on issues that are very relevant to transgender people. And um, most of us feel that we're, we're both willing and able to talk about our experience and the issues. And most of us, uh, well, I should only speak for myself. I'm, I'm, I get a lot of people who reach out to me um, on social media through messaging, and um, I try to help everyone I can, but I especially make room for transgender people who reach out to me and might need help. And there's a lot of us who do that as well. So I would encourage people to reach out to, to some of the people um, who are very public about their experience. And if I can't help you, I'm going to give you some suggestions about places that can. That's fantastic. So in that vein, one of the things that guests on my show often share as advice which I ask, especially at the end, but all the way through, is they say to be fearless, which sounds terrific in theory, but I think it's a very hard thing to do. And it's not always the wisest thing to do. It's very specific, whether you should be fearless or not fearless, but learning about your story 
what was it like to go one day into the office as Michael and then the next as Maeve? I mean, that seems pretty fearless to me. Yeah, and I actually, um, this past weekend, I just did my first TED Talk. And um, the whole TED Talk was focused on um, that first day. And uh, it was very cathartic for me to, 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 to write about that. But there's, there's two ways I'm going to answer that question. The, okay. the first is, the first is, and, and this is not binary, you don't completely get to this point, but you try to get to a point where you generally don't care whether you're accepted or not. The thing that you're doing is so important to you that regardless of how you think people may think about you, you're going to do it. And generally speaking, I think for people in underrepresented groups, and, and my experience is a little bit unique because remember, up until five years ago, I thought I was a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. And, and then all of a sudden, five years ago, I'm transgender, woman, lesbian. So I've had a very kind of, as, as someone in an underrepresented group, it's kind of a unique experience coming from that one world to the other. But I, I, I've learned that the faster you can get to a place where um, you generally care more about what's right for you and what's going to make you feel right than what other people think about you, then that's the place you got to get to. And by the time I walked into Goldman Sachs um, that day, I was at that place. I, I almost didn't have a choice. The other thing I will, I will say about that is if I think about my life, I got sober in January of 2018, and it took me so long and so much to get to that point. And it, it, it's almost like after I got sober, my whole life kind of fell into place. And so if I think about when I started drinking, I started sipping cream de mint at family celebrations um, when I was in my teens in the 1970s. And then I get to January 2018. My bottom is drinking vodka around the clock for a week and trying to take my life. How did I get there? I got there by making thousands and tens of thousands of bad decisions, starting with the decision every day to drink. And so how do I get to that point where from finally deciding to stop drinking to today where I'm, I'm, I'm just so successful, so happy, um, my life is so big and full? It's the opposite. I've made thousands of good decisions every single day. And so we, we talk about, you know, the day I walk into the office being fearless. Um, I'm fearless because I, I've, I got to that point through thousands of little different things that I did um, before that. And, you know, I, I'm just at that day 
and it's almost the bursting point. I, I don't know if I made sense, but yeah. You did, and it, that was that was beautiful. Thank you for for saying it for sharing it in that way. And I I did want to say ask you one thing, which is, so you walk in looking different, but this is looks your outward appearance is is the reflection of who you are on the inside. So it's so much more important about who you are, not even necessarily what you look like, but that was just how you were showing people who you were. Could you, I'm not sure there's a question there, but could you talk about that a little, please? So in in my TED talk this past week, and I I had a line and and it's, it sounds kind of very ominous, but I don't think it is. It's um, that I will spend the rest of my life Hopefully it'll be long. Um, learning what it means to be a woman, learning how to think like a woman, and but I will die with my mission incomplete, and I'm totally okay with that um, because I think that's just the way kind of life is. Any any kind of real any transition in in human beings are all in transition. It's not just something that germane just to transgender people like everybody's into self-discovery and self-actualization that's that's what we try to do that's how we live our lives as human beings and so i think any any kind of transition um that that has value never really has an end there's kind of an idealized goal but you never reach it so that's one aspect um of how i'd answer your question the second one is that the internal part of transitions are, are much more important than the external. The, the, the most rewarding experience I can have is um, to be in a group of women and to be totally accepted um, by that group of women. And fortunately, I've surrounded myself um, with, with women, friends in my life where that's generally the case. Um, unfortunately, it's not that way for every transgender woman in, in the outside world, but for me, it is. And that's what I find very rewarding. And, um, you know, you inviting me on the show, that makes me feel that way um, as well. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for being here. And you are the first transgender woman I have ever had as a guest. And I plan to have many more, especially just talking with you. I'm blown away by the things you're saying now. And we had a, a conversation prior to this to sort of prep. And I just, you're a woman. You are. So one of the things that you said to me when we first spoke that really struck me was how people's expectations are largely colored by their past experiences, and yet there's an infinite number of ways your life can go. For you, it sounds like a huge tipping point was getting sober. For a number of people, it seemed like the lockdown and the height of the pandemic was a time to reconsider how their life was going. You know, the great resignation, but then, of course, a lot of people had to come back because they had to make money. But what advice do you have for someone, for whatever reason and in whatever sense, they don't feel that they're living an authentic life for them? I I think, based on my experience, that most people need to find their centered spiritual place whether it's in an organized religion, 
whether it's nature and recovery, we talk about a higher power, whatever, whatever your spirituality is, you, you need to find it and you need to get to that place. And once you get to that place, um, you can move forward. But if, if, you, if you don't get there, in my experience, you're lost. And I was lost for, for most of my life. And then when I got sober through recovery, I was able to find that place. And when I talk about expectations for myself, how they're limiting to experience, I get it from this experience. If when I got sober, you were to tell me that I was just going to kind of chug along just as I had previously, and um, maybe I'd be a little bit happier, but I, I'd still be I'd still be Michael. I'd still be a man, um, and I'd be a little bit happier, and I just wouldn't have alcohol in my life regularly. I would have thought, yeah, that's probably how my life's going to go, but it didn't, and I'm happy it didn't. And I had no idea I was going to end up here, but obviously this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I think if you find that place, that spiritual place that's right for you, um, you, you it's just a, a kind of a launch pad for things you couldn't even dreamed of um, happening in your life. I agree. I agree. So if people want to hear your TED talk, if they want to, you said you're out there and more now, if they want to follow you on social, where should, where can they find you? Yeah, my TED talk's unfortunately being video edited. I, 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 I believe I had a good experience, but I haven't seen the video yet. So um, we'll see. I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm a little bit more active on Facebook. You can, you can order my book um, any place where books are sold. And um, if you just Google my name. There's a bunch of news stories and public speaking engagement um, on that will come up that you can you can listen to and and view. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel a little overexposed after <laughs> after what my life was like before. But um, that's what you're supposed to do when you write a book, I guess. A hundred percent. So then, and you've already given so much good advice, but. I, I would like to end by just asking you, do you have one particular piece of advice that has helped you through your life and your career that you can share with us? Yeah, I I picked this up in recovery and I, I really wish I'd known this earlier because it would have made my life so much easier. So every human being, but maybe alcoholics in particular, tend to blame, especially alcoholics, we, we kind of blame people for kind of keeping misery on us. But this whole idea that whenever I experience um, internal disturbance, it's because I've done something. And usually the thing I've done is to let something external bother me. And if, if you believe this, and then it's extremely empowering because everything is in your control because all you have to do is to control how you react to something. And it, you, you just know that everything that happens out there is, is happening and you have no control over it. But as long as you can control how you react to it, that 
that's what makes all the difference. And it's such a small idea, but um, I, I find it so empowering. It really is. Well, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me, Katie.